0: This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martireno. We're here on Saturdays. We're talking about the disease of addiction and the road to recovery. Recovery Radio is sponsored by the good, good people at Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. And we'll have more about what they do straight ahead. Uh, Continuing in a, a series of programs we've been bringing you during the month of September, uh, which is re- a National Recovery Month. We, we have another um, success story to tell you about because it's very important to remind people that in the face of this awful, awful situation, this scourge of substance abuse, or opioid deaths, that lots of people find their way out of this horrible circumstance and wind up living in successful long-term sobriety. So in this month, as I said, set aside to educate people about substance abuse and the treatment that's available we also pause, as we do all the time, but certainly in September, to celebrate the success stories. And it's in it's in that spirit that we welcome our guests to, to the program today. Mary Simple joins us on Recovery Radio today. Hi, Mary. Thanks for coming by.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: I got to get you to move right over and straight in front. There okay. you go. There you go. Um, we we you are in the field now. You're working uh, at the intake department. We're going to get into that straight ahead, but. We, we want to find out about your story. You are approaching three years of sobriety now, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So so tell us about you. Uh, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Chester County uh, about 40 minutes from here. Uh, grew up in Thorndale, uh, which is in between Downingtown and Coatesville.
0: Or, or put another way, it's the last stop on the R5. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I grew up in Thorndale. Uh, lived in Chester County my whole life. Uh, I grew up in a very um, like middle class family. Uh, my childhood was very good. Uh, I didn't really um, want for very, you know, didn't really want for much.
0: Yeah. Uh, brothers and sisters.
1: I have uh, four four siblings. I have two brothers and two older sisters. I'm the last. I'm the the baby of the, you're the, the
0: five. You're the baby in the yeah, in the family. Exactly. So so um, you're you're sort of uh, garden variety. Uh, uh, all-american family you are in fact among the uh, people that we now talk about when we say the new face of this problem correct, correct. So how did uh, so what was your experience growing up uh, with regard to you know marijuana and drinking and, and tell us about that
1: well, uh, I'll state this first. My dad was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. so it was um, pretty prevalent in our family. Um, I'm an Irish Catholic family, so, oh, so it was everywhere in our family.
0: Um, alcoholism or alcoholism? Correct,
1: alcoholism. alcoholism. Okay. Yeah, so it, it ran pretty rampant with my dad, my grandfathers, um, different people in my family, extended family. Yeah. Um, my brother's an alcoholic, so it ran, you know, the gene was was pretty much planted Pretty pretty early yeah. in life.
0: W- were any of those people in treatment during the course of their um, uh, alcohol? N- problem?
1: No, my brother did go to treatment uh, about fifteen years ago. Um, after my first time in treatment, he decided to go to treatment um, because he wasn't really didn't really know much about you know treatment until I kind of went. Well,
0: so it's kind of interesting when we've had people on who've had the kind of uh, significant family history of mm-hmm. substance abuse to ask them what the impact on that was when, when they were young. I mean, It's not something at the age of 10, or 11, or 12, you would go, gee, I better be careful. That might happen to me. Correct. How did you react? I mean, did you know, for instance, that your dad and your grandfather had problems, or did you just think they drank a lot?
1: Uh, at an early age, yes, I did know that my dad was, was an alcoholic. Uh, I actually went to – my oldest sister um, had taken me to Al-Anon for a long time, uh, when I was probably about 13, 13, 14, she introduced me to Al- Alatine. Sorry, teen. she introduced me to.
0: Yeah, she felt you needed that support because there was tension at home probably. I around. was
1: the only one left in the household uh, at that time. So
0: you bore the brunt of it Correct. all. Correct, yeah, yeah
1: my, my mother and I. So my brothers and sisters were all much older than I was, mm-hmm. so they were either out of the house living on their own or in college. Mm-hmm. So I did see a lot of... um I did see a lot of his progression mm-hmm. uh, with the drinking. So so, yeah. so
0: at 13, when you get to Al-Anon and hear about it, the, the fact that that is a disease, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. and that it's impacting you, where are you with regard to drinking or, or, or drug use at 13?
1: Um, it did not start until I probably about 14, where I did drink with friends uh, in in middle school on the weekends. Um, but
0: You characterize it as... Sort of typical, fortunate young teenage behavior. Correct. People listening to these stories always say to me the same thing. Why would someone who comes from a background like Mary, uh, not even at 13, go, gee, maybe I I better be careful here. Why did that? Did it occur to you? It
1: did not occur to me. No, it did not occur to me to probably uh, when I was in high school um, that I needed to. I I always would tell myself I don't want to be like him. Um, As much as now, um, he has passed. But, you know, he got sober probably when I was just graduating high school. So, um, but in before that, like I just always told myself, I don't want to be like him.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating because, Mm -hmm. again, we've got to make sure people understand the difference between I don't want to be like him and being aware that you might have the same disease he has. So you didn't view it as a disease. You Mm -hmm. just thought dad was uh, like a... Behaving badly. Correct. And I won't behave badly. Yes, correct. I can drink. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you trying to, do you think looking back, you might have been trying to prove to yourself you weren't like him?
1: Yes. Now, looking back now, knowing what I know now, uh, absolutely. I definitely was.
0: So at 13, you you sneak some liquor, some beer and go out with your friends and drink. What was that like for you? How quickly did it progress to, to a problem?
1: It progressed pretty quickly. Uh, I went to college. I was, um, like I said, I excelled in sports um, and in school. I really never had to, um, never had to uh, study for things. So I had a full, well, partial scholarship to East Stralsburg University for field hockey and lacrosse. Right. Um, our family was always very. Everybody excelled in sports. Um, so I went to East Strasburg University, and I was introduced pretty quickly because. My roommate at that time, um, my freshman year in college, had already been there for a year. Uh, She went to high school with me, so I was, you know, I was kind of introduced to it pretty quick. Quickly, I never was able to have my own college experience. I pretty much went with her college experience. So uh, I drank a lot my my freshman year. The minute you
0: get to college, correct? Yeah, yeah. A lot of kids major in that, uh, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, So, uh, but I'm going to back up to this. This kind of – where where you fit in the social order, uh, particularly in high school. Mm -hmm. You you weren't in the out group. You weren't the loner. You weren't with the bad crowd. No. You were –
1: yeah, I was in the what you would call, I guess, popular crowd. Right. I p- played a lot of sports every single season. I was playing something and uh, excelled pretty quickly. So you're
0: not look, you don't look—you don't look back as many do and go. I, there was a hole in my my life and emptiness, and I filled it with substance abuse. No, none of that. No,
1: none of that. I can't say that that's what happened. No.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, again, it's interesting to note that if you know you or I had grown up in a situation where there was, let's say, a history of diabetes in the family. You would automatically go, well, gee, I could become a diabetic. I better watch my diet and I better do my exercise. But because you don't view this as a disease, it's not going to happen to you. Correct. So you get to college and you start drinking. How, how, And right away it becomes a problem for you?
1: Uh, Yes, right away. You go
0: past your roommate immediately? Uh,
1: No. I mean, she introduced me to all the parties, the frat parties, different stuff like that. So I drank – pretty much from Thursday all the way through Monday, you know, and I missed a lot of classes my freshman year. I ended up ultimately um, failing out right. my first year right. of college. So you lose
0: the scholarship, Correct. partial scholarship, Correct. And, and you flunk out of college. Correct. And at no point do you go, i got a problem here.
1: No, still not not thinking I have a problem, no.
0: What, uh, what was your family reaction to you uh, besides the obvious? Were, 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 were any of them, Mom in particular, saying, you know, Mary, this is a road you shouldn't go down? I don't.
1: I, I, I personally don't know. They've never said that to me. Um, they were obviously very upset when I failed out of college my freshman year. Um, so I moved back home and started going to a community college yeah. around home.
0: The Drinking didn't stop, though, right?
1: No, I drank on the weekends. You know, I still drank on the weekends. With you know, friends.
0: So were you were you sort of like high functioning as a, uh, an yeah, alcohol absolutely. abuser? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Sure, sure.
1: I I always chalked it up to I'm 20, I'm 21. You know, everybody, that's what everybody right. does. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. It, it may be uh, this disease is awful as you know at any point in someone's life, but it's particularly difficult when you're young because it, it goes to the heart of the whole social arrangement. I mean, how do I how do I be 20 years old? Right. And right. And not party. Correct. Right. Yeah. So were you blackout were you blackout drinking at that
1: point? Ah. Uh, yeah, I could say I would. Now looking back on it, yes, I of course I blacked out. I didn't drink when I went out with friends to not get drunk. I mean, it was you know people say, oh, I, you know, I can have a couple beers. That I drank to get drunk. That was my that was my goal. Yeah,
0: people who don't understand this uh, this uh, behavior pattern d- driven by this this disease. Correct. Need to hear that more often because mm-hmm. because very often. They don't get it. You, yeah. People take drugs to get high, mm-hmm. and they drink to get drunk. Correct. When you've got a problem. Correct. Yeah, when you got, so it wasn't a so, social lubricant for you. You didn't need any he- uh, help socially. You you're pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, did, so where, where does the alcohol lead you where? Uh,
1: alcohol led me to opiates, ultimately.
0: And, and, and under, what, under what circumstances?
1: So um, when I graduated from – I actually graduated from Harcum College for a physical therapy assistant degree. Um, and after that, I, I got married, uh, I went and worked for an orthopedic surgeon for a long time. So I had, uh, wisdom teeth pulled all four and was prescribed opiates. And in that interim, by the time, you know, when I graduated, got married, I didn't drink that much, you know, kind of faded out. Uh, you
0: weren't a problem drinker.
1: No. No, but this, like I, like I said earlier, the seed was always planted, so it was always there. Right. I had some type of addiction, yes. uh, some kind of addictive personality, so um, when I was prescribed the opiates for the pain, um, oh. it, that's where it went off. And, and
0: the worst thing that could have possibly happened to you. But it was as innocent and as medicinal as the doctor saying, and oh, your teeth are out, it's very common. Here's some – what did he prescribe? Uh,
1: right. It was called Lorset
0: yeah. at that time. So it's, a, it's an opiate. Correct. And when we come back, we'll find out how – um, that match just lit the fire, I guess, that uh, caused you the problems. Uh, Mary Semple is our guest. She is uh, sharing with us her uh, story of substance abuse and uh, the road that she took to recovery. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. As I mentioned at the outset of the program, it is National uh, Recovery Month, September, every September, uh, dedicated to educating people about substance abuse and the treatment that's available, and also uh, pointing out and celebrating, in fact, the successful stories. There are millions, believe it or not, millions of successful stories of successful long-term sobriety. We are speaking with an example of that today on Recovery Radio. Mary Semple joins us to tell us about her all-American upbringing, I mean, uh, she, she she wasn't, you know, one of the bad kids in school. She was a uh, star athlete, uh, popular, uh, but she had a drinking problem, which was a uh, almost a tradition in her family. And as she told us before we took the break here, um, that was more or less manageable uh, until she ran into a prescription dose of opioids. What happened as a result of that?
1: So I was prescribed the uh, opioids because of the surgery, um, and you know, at first, you know, of course, I I took it as prescribed, and then I got dry sockets because of it. So then I was prescribed even more.
0: You, your your eyes were affected.
1: No, 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 dry, dry sockets oh, it, in your in teeth. teeth. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thinking, wow, that's a symptom I never heard of. So, so what, so what, what, what happened there?
1: Dry sockets. Uh, it's the most painful thing. Yeah, because I smoked on top of having like these open wounds inside my mouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I got dry sockets, which affects the nerves, and it. It, it's very painful yeah very
0: painful. so he gives you um more more uh, stronger Correct. dose right and at no point are you thinking you know as a history of addictive behavior in no, my family not nothing not. That. and no. you hadn't had any experience beyond excessive alcohol uh, use you, you weren't smoking a lot of marijuana you weren't popping pills none of that no
1: none
0: of that yeah none of that all right so uh do, for people who don't understand, do, do the opiates, in the in the context you're talking about them here at the beginning, are they helping you with the pain? They are. They are. Why would you then go, ooh, if they're helping me with the pain, maybe you get high? How did that form in your head?
1: Well, honestly, I, I think it was after a certain period of time where I still had some leftover. Um, and I do remember the feeling that I used to get when I would take these pills of the euphoria, um, where it... Helped me kind of, like, deal with my stressful day. I mean, I had a pretty stressful job at that point, so dealing with that on a daily basis. And I remember, you know, just taking one one day, not having any pain, Mm -hmm. and knowing the feeling. And I still remember that feeling, you know, that euphoria.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because people without a propensity towards this disease uh, might notice. Yeah, I'm kind of a little high here. But boy, isn't it great? I'm not having any pain, and let it go at that. But course, but you're yeah. you're set up perfectly mm-hmm. to succumb to this stuff. Yes. And and you didn't go looking for it; uh, they prescribed it, so yes. you start abusing it. How did you begin abusing it? Uh,
1: I would just take too many, too many, and then it, you know your tolerance builds up. So I started taking more um, for the fact of not being sick. Uh, it, it that was one of the things I don't remember. I remember. Um, one, you know, when I finally had that feeling where if I didn't take it, I was going to be sick. But at that point, I didn't know it was withdrawal symptoms. I just, you know, I didn't realize what it was. You yeah. know, I was never, I never knew anything about, um, addiction like right, as far as you know opiates
0: yeah we're talking about 20 years ago right Correct. about 20 years yeah. ago in your early 20s and so it believe me in terms of this disease and the in the and the education and knowledge about it that's late years ago Correct. we were really in the dark yes so you the, you you f- clearly remember this transition period where the drugs are taking care of the pain but when you and you're taking more of them for a number of reasons. One, mm-hmm. it takes care of the pain. Two, you f- like the way you feel. Correct. Then when you stop doing it, you, you feel yourself. You remember that transition. Yes, I do
1: remember Why didn't remember you that. say to
0: your doctor, what's going on here? Why am I uh, um
1: Honestly, it was more so of fear and um, just being ashamed, I think. You know, so so you're,
0: you're sort of aware. that. So what were you telling the doctor to get him to give? <laughs> to
1: well, after a while, I mean, I was only prescribed them for maybe two months. Mm-hmm. And then when it got to the point where I would run out, That's when I got into big trouble.
0: So you are going on the streets again?
1: Uh no. I started calling in prescriptions for myself. So
0: you were you were you were doctor shopping, you were doing all that stuff? No,
1: I worked for a doctor. Ah.
0: So did he well, how were you getting away with that?
1: Um well I was now again, this was a long time ago. So at that point they weren't savvy to what how they are now. Um I would I mean I worked for a doctor, uh, an orthopedic surgeon. So uh, there was a couple different doctors in the practice, and I had access to their DEA numbers.
0: So they didn't know you were doing. this? No, they did, did not they,
1: know. No. no. Did, was,
0: was, did there come a time when they found out you were doing that? Four years later. Four years.
1: Yeah, it took four years.
0: How heavy were you using at the end of that?
1: Uh, by the time I got uh, caught, it was I was using up to about sixty pills a day at the at the most. Yeah, sixty.
0: P- 60 opioid pills mm-hmm. a day. Correct. You're a young woman in a Correct. professional uh, career, mm-hmm. working for doctors. Are you married at this time? I was married at that time, Any, yes. any kids? Uh, no. You lose it all? I mean, did you lose the job, obviously?
1: I lost the job, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I got into a lot of serious uh, legal trouble. Yeah, I was. Um, that was the first time. That was back in 2005 when I finally got uh, caught. And I, a result of that, I have three felonies on my record. And a bunch of you know misdemeanors. Yeah, no, yeah.
0: No. Um, you never progressed beyond uh, uh, taking pills orally, or did, were you were you crushing I, them? No, that? I
1: did not crush them. No. Mm-mm.
0: Never used it intravenously. Or? No,
1: not until later on when no. I got introduced to heroin.
0: So, so that did occur. Yeah, it did and occur after you after you lost the job and had and had to throw with the law and. You still have this problem.
1: Yes, I went to rehab for the first time in two thousand five.
0: As a result of the uh, of the law uh, problems with the law. Yes, correct. So I want to get into a little, little bit later about when you when you get into treatment, but mm-hmm. I, I, this, I want to back up here now. You, you must at this point recognize that <laughs> that you've got a problem here.
1: Correct, uh, and I tell this a lot when I tell my story during uh you know at meetings that at that point that uh, intervention was pretty big. The, the TV show yes and I remember watching it um, a lot and thinking to myself that's me like I'm a drug addict I have a problem so when I got caught um, when the you know the criminal uh, investigator was involved um, they went to my family members, uh, because I would call in prescriptions for them. And uh, my brother was one of them. And he came to my house one night and um, let me know that the criminal investigator was had been in contact with them, and that I needed to get some help. Um, That's what they suggested. And I do remember that feeling that that night when he came to my house, that it was a feeling of of course, I was scared, but it was a f- kind of a feeling of relief yeah. that it was finally all done. Now it's out you know? in the open. Yes, maybe I can and it was. And it was tiring. It's a tire. It, you know, when you're an addict and the the continuous, you know, cycle, it's 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 tiring. It's very tiring. All
0: you become is a person trying to get your next correct. Fix. Your next fix. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. I'm Steve Marder, and I want to tell you about uh, the sponsors of the program, Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. You know, you can Google them if you want. They, their reputation speaks for itself. They're among the, the best and the leaders in this field of uh, treating substance abuse. But they sponsor the program as an informational uh, and educational tool, and they sell me every week make sure they know we're, we're not you know we're about helping people and we'll do that any way we can if we can't do it we'll tell them maybe somebody else who can so i give you their phone number and i hope you never have to use it but in a a really terrible moment in in your life or your family's life it it could really be a lifesaver 855 859 8808 that's how you reach them they will answer any questions you have about the disease of addiction and treatment and how to get it 855 859 Eight eight zero eight retreat premier addiction treatment centers from their intake department, and we'll tell you more about what that is straight ahead. Mary Semple has been with us with her story of substance abuse and now her uh, almost three years of sobriety. So, Mary, you get in a lot of trouble uh, writing phony scripts for the doctors you work for. These are felonies, serious charges, mm-hmm. um, and they. I got a mandate that you that you get treatment. Tell me about your first experience with treatment. So.
1: Like I said, I when I was uh, actually finally caught, and uh, my brother came to my house with a business card of a criminal investigator that had reached out to him regarding you know the prescriptions I had been writing for him and other family members. Uh, he came to my house and he said you need to get some help, and it was probably the you know like I said it was fear, a lot of fear at that point because I knew I was in a lot of trouble, but it was also a, a, a thought of relief that i was finally done like i could stop this this whole charade of constantly getting you know another pill to so i didn't feel bad you know i didn't i didn't go through withdrawal and it was it was a long process it was over a four-year period that this was going on yeah so my first experience going to treatment um was more of a, a relief you know i was of course scared as anybody would be um, but I, I I say this all the time. When I walked into my first treatment center, it was like walking into uh, a place where I felt safe, and people knew exactly how I was actually feeling.
0: Yeah, you got off that treadmill, correct? Got off the treadmill, and maybe this is the beginning of a new way to uh, live, live. Yes. Where, was uh, was this a uh, residential uh, facility? It was. Yes. Did you have to mm-hmm. undergo a detox? Yes. Yeah, tell us about detox.
1: It was brutal. <laughs> it was very brutal. Uh, I actually started the detox before I even went into treatment. Um, what actually happened is I was detoxing at home because when I was finally told that, you know the gig is up and you're you have to go to treatment, um, uh, my family um, took all my pills away for me. and I started the detox process at home. Now, they did not they were not aware of what I was going to go through. Um, you know, they would give me one or two, you know, just to try to help. but Honestly, it, you know, at that point, you're taking six at seven at, at a time. It one or two, nothing. Not, one or two is not going to do it. Yeah, so. But,
0: um, wow. So they're trying to medically assist you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what <laughs> people are so. This is a while ago. Again, we're talking about. Yeah, so uh, over
1: ten years over ago. Ten
0: years ago, it mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of information. Families mm-hmm. had it at their disposal, and certainly they weren't going around asking their neighbors, "What should we do?". No,
1: no.
0: There was nobody to turn to.
1: No, it was. It's you know, at that time, it's none of nobody in my family. Um, particularly knew anything about rehab yeah you may have had a
0: history of uh, alcohol uh, abuse but there was no opiate no
1: it's not even the opiates i you know my dad we all knew my dad was an alcoholic but he never went to treatment yeah you know
0: so yeah this dope sick thing Mm. baffles a lot of people yeah because they think i mean look i've been sick i've had the flu Uh, i've been real sick i mean uh, (laughs) why would that drive you back to something as awful that's ruining your life like like opioids (laughs) Can you get, can you describe dope sick?
1: Uh, dope sick. I mean, to me, uh, people. You know, other people describe it different ways, but it's all pretty much the same. It's like having the flu times ten. Every every bone, every muscle in your body hurts. Uh, nausea. You know, vomiting. Everything. It's it's pretty it's pretty brutal. How, it's
0: brutal. I, I'm sure there's no rule of thumb in general for this, but how long can a situation like that exist before your body just is clean of the drugs?
1: I would. I mean, I guess you know. What I've always been to treatment where it's you know we have uh, you know detox medication obviously yes. for it, but it's it takes a while. Uh, I know that a couple of different treatment centers I was in after. Uh, the seven day detox, you know, ten days later, you're still getting the post acute withdrawal symptoms, which are just as bad. Yeah. You know?
0: So for people again who need need to try to figure out, you know, the difference between a moral failure or weak a weak person and mm-hmm. what what what's really going on with their brain, it, and I know you'll be honest with us here. Mm-hmm. So you're you're staving off dope sickness. Correct. That's your first goal. I do yes. not want to be sick. No. but then you get more drugs. Mm-hmm. And Do you remember thinking, not only am I not going to get dope sick, hey, I'm high again.
1: Yes. Right? And It's funny that that you mentioned that because I was just talking to uh, my sponsor about this the other day about how I would get like an adrenaline rush or a high just walking into the pharmacy to pick them up. You know, I would even after having some time clean, I still got that even if I was just picking up, you know, my regular medication. It was just the cycle. You know, it's just a cycle of being able to get away with it, or
0: yeah. you know. Well, that's a great that's a great example of what the disease is actually doing. We we now know, after taking mm-hmm. a good look at it, that it changes the way your brain works.
1: Exactly. So Absolutely.
0: So you're so you're getting a benefit mm-hmm. from abusing drugs, even before you take them. Correct. Yes. See that pe- people who have not been there and done that don't understand it. No, they don't. They think you just want to go get high again. Exactly. Yeah. So walking into a drugstore. It's a no, whole lifestyle.
1: It's a whole lifestyle, yeah.
0: You're going to start to feel better. Correct. How many times did you um, relapse during this period when you're trying to get sober?
1: Uh, I've been to treatment six times. So that first time I went to treatment was in 2005. I did stay clean uh, for about two and a half, three years after that. I ended up going back and working in the facility I went through. Um in the drug and alcohol field, and then I left and went back to the medical field, um, which I was told by a judge not to do, but I still did it three years later.
0: So, so during this whole period, you're still on parole? and you have to- I've
1: been on probation since 2005, and still, to this day, I'm still on probation, and, yes. And,
0: and, and well, as difficult as that is, do um, you, you think it's necessary for you?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean now, now I don't have a problem with it mm-hmm. because I'm clean mm-hmm. and uh, I don't have a problem with you know uh, random drug tests, um, you know calling in whatever I have to do, paying my fines, you know what 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 I should be doing. I don't have a problem with it now, but then going through it over the last ten years, you know, in and out of treatment, um, relapsing, it it's hard, you know.
0: Um, why do you suppose uh, you? Well, first of all, why do you suppose it wasn't taking for you the first six times you went to uh, treatment? And then what changed?
1: Uh, I have to say this past, the past time, uh, last time I was in treatment was in 2015. It was actually at retreat. was my last time in treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can't say that after I left there uh, in July – I'll just say this. I haven't had a drug, a drink or a drug or any m- mood altering substance since July 29th of 2015. But I, I, my sobriety date is actually 11-11-2015. Um, what actually happened is I was sober for a couple months and I can't even tell you what happened that I decided one day that I was going to go buy some heroin mm. in Philadelphia.
0: You you have no way of explaining why you would have done that.
1: No, this is just the way the addict, you know, thinking is. It's not that anything was particularly going wrong in my life. Uh, I just had the thought, and instead of reaching out to people in the program or others that are in recovery, I decided not to do that and went down to Philadelphia and bought the heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, never was able to use it because I got arrested. Um but now that I look back on it, it's that was a godsend you know, for yes, me. Yes, indeed. B- because I could
0: have been dead. Yep. Yeah. I, when you say you went to Philadelphia to get heroin, I'm, I'm guessing you, you weren't talking about Rittenhouse Square. No. So you went to some t- terrible places. Correct. Did you go alone?
1: Uh, majority of the time, yes. Did
0: you go at night during the afternoon? Uh, all times. You just drove into North Philadelphia, yes. North Philadelphia? Yes. And— um, Never never worried about your well-being? Your-
1: no, at that point, you know, when people, as an addict, you don't, as somebody asked me that before, like, you weren't scared. And it's like, when you're sick, you don't really, you don't, none of the, all that goes out the window, yeah. you know?
0: It should be well, obvious to people that if you're willing you're willing to, to, yeah. to do that, right. then obviously you're in the grip of something. Correct. And let me ask you, during the time you're behaving like this, are mm-hmm. you aware that it's irrational?
1: Um, Not it. yes, of course. After, I think, a majority of the time it was after, I would get my stuff and be able to get high, That I'd think to myself, that
0: was crazy. Denial is a big part of this disease. Oh,
1: absolutely. And,
0: I, and I, I, I'm no expert here, but I've always thought that I can understand certain substances that are being abused mm-hmm. are more easy to deny. Than heroin is mm-hmm. uh, seems to me if you're drinking to excess you can write that off to all kinds of because yeah, it's, le- it's a legal and a socially acceptable Correct, thing yes. but if you're in the middle of North Philadelphia at two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. you're not kidding anybody no. you weren't kidding yourself right
1: no I was not
0: no. were you worried about um, needles were you worried about getting a disease or
1: no uh, I that was one of the things I mean doesn't really matter I was an IV you know heroin user but I never used other people's needles.
0: How'd you learn to shoot up?
1: I, um, yeah, I was.
0: Oh, you were a nurse. Yeah, well, in the I was, medical Yeah, field? medical
1: field. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I you, knew. You
0: had no trouble getting uh, needles and. Yeah, you could
1: buy you could buy them at the pharmacy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Because they they, have, they do have yeah, legitimate you use. You just go thing. in,
1: and I mean, majority of them, you know. I used to just say like I'm dying for you know my mother who's a diabetic right. you know stuff like that
0: how how much uh, what was your uh, heroin use level at that point? How much were you shooting? at
1: the very end? my heroin use was about two to three bundles a day, which is in north in North Philadelphia, a bundle is about fourteen bags
0: ever overdose
1: uh yes, I've overdosed twice, not had to be narcan, but yeah, I had overdosed um. When I got out of treatment in 2012 from retreat uh, with people, I was in a hotel room and uh, woke up to no one being there. Everybody had just left. Because at that point, you know, p- they didn't have that law anymore where the Good Samaritan, where if you call 911, you won't get in trouble. Right. Um,
0: so when you'd overdose in those days, people would just take off? They would
1: just leave. Yeah.
0: So you you could have been dead then? I could have, Both yes. times? Yes. And was it the second overdose that – Got your attention? No, I
1: think the last time that I was in treatment or the last time that I got caught, um, I was obviously, I was sent to jail for probably the longest time I've been in jail, which I've been in jail in and out a couple different times. This time was over eight months. um, And I had to make, I had to go from North Philadelphia to Lancaster County Prison for a couple months, then back to, North. you know, it was an RCF, which is pretty scary. Yeah, um, and yeah. then I had to finish up my sentence in Chester County prison. Um, so I was in you know jail for about eight months. And at that point it's, you know, I, I had time to sit down and think like, what, what am I doing with my life? I'm, I'm 40, you know, 42 years old or 41 years old. How you much know, longer can I do how this? How much longer can I do this? Mary
0: simple is our guest. She's telling us about her uh, struggles with, uh, substance abuse and big trouble. Um, and now going on three years sober. We're back on Recovery Radio. I, uh, I hope you, uh, if you haven't told anybody about this show and you're listening to it on a regular basis, you have. We're here every week talking about the disease of addiction. Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. Uh, Mary Semple has been our guest. As I said at the beginning of the program, National Recovery Month in September uh, does a number of things to educate people about this problem. And the treatment that's available in addition to celebrating success stories. Mary has told us another just awful, awful calamity of her uh, abusing first alcohol and then uh, harder stuff, opioids and uh, heroin. And uh, how she manages to sit here in front of us now um, successfully sober for for going on three years. We congratulate her for for that. It's possible. Um, So. During the break, I was saying to you, I've interviewed a lot of folks who just many of the same things that you're talking about. They never seem to get arrested as many times as you yeah. do. So <laughs> you were you were sort of like the most unlucky drug user. Yeah, but in a sense, were you grateful? you Yes, got
1: absolutely grateful. Now, uh, like I was telling, saying during the break, I was a uh, people joke with me all the time. You know, you're the worst criminal ever. Every time I would go out, I'd get caught every single time. And uh, but now looking back on it, it's it's really a godsend that I was, you know, I had uh, probation or I had these people in my life that kept me, you know, kept me accountable yeah, for things. Yeah.
0: yeah. Be- because as we know now, mm-hmm. if the if the behavior, and you're talking about four or five years ago at this point. Yes. If the behavior had, had persisted just a few years longer, then you're running into the stuff that's killing people. Correct.
1: Yes. Uh, probably back in you know 2015, the last time I, I had bought it, it could have been one of the you know a batch uh, that could have killed me.
0: Yeah, and it's another example of what people should consider about the 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 overwhelming nature of the disease is that in spite of the fact people know that there's bad there's bad stuff out there laced with all kinds of. Uh, deadly uh, chemicals. This doesn't stop anybody trying to get high. No, it does not. Uh, But you did and and went back into the field, which is what you uh, were going to do before all this happened to you. Mm -hmm. And now you are... Well, tell us about your history here at uh, Retreat. You now work for Retreat.
1: Yes. So uh, I started at Retreat about 16 months ago. I started as a part-time weekend receptionist every other weekend. Um, And then I... uh, About... I'd say about six months into it, I I transitioned to the intake department and worked um, second shift for the intake department. And now in June, I was just promoted to the intake department team lead.
0: A second shift. That's interesting because this is yeah. not like your normal doctor's office where no. they have nine to five appointments. Right. People coming there at all different times. Yes. Tell us what the what, what intake department is, and you're the team leader now. Correct. So you got like four, eight people, I think that eight, work. Eight. Yes. Work for you. Yes. Uh, intake. I, I said to you once again before we went on the air that there's in the chain of people in the continuum of care that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Everybody, every point along that continuum is important, but some occur. At critical moments, yes. the, the guys in your transportation department are yes. absolutely critical. If they don't do their job, then mm-hmm. – but the intake of the first people that a, 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 a patient meets coming in. Correct, right, yes. Right. So that's what you do. Yes. That's what you and your people do. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what what your feelings were when you met that first in, person the first time in the treatment?
1: Yes. I, I think it's more so I remember when I came to retreat. Uh, I don't really remember – early on, uh, the last three times, my last three treatment centers were at retreat. So Mm -hmm. I do remember, um, a particular um, woman, the very last time I came in, very, very warm, you know, um, very, the the way that retreat is, is it's kind of like a family. So, you know, you're, it's somebody that's coming back in. Um, they've obviously had dealt with me before. So, uh, it's, it was just a very welcoming, it was very welcoming, even though I was probably really high at that time. Um, they're still there, you know, they still are very, very welcoming about what they do.
0: So, so you've had the occasion then to be on the other side of the table. Right?
1: Oh, absolutely. On a daily basis, and, pretty and much.
0: Do you see in these people that come to you as the uh, intake uh, leader, the same patterns that you exhibited?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's more so a lot of patients that come in that are... Um, sometimes don't want to be there, you know? They don't want to be there. So they're difficult. They are difficult.
0: Primarily, you're taking information, right? Med- medical histories and stuff Correct. like that. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But, but there's also this other thing going on. I mean, you, have you had people get up and go, this isn't going to work and leave? Or yes, try to leave? Absolutely. Yeah. What do yes, absolutely. What do you do under the circumstances? Um,
1: in that circumstance, what are, I mean, obviously we try to uh, talk them down as far as, you know, try to digress the situation, you know, trying to, to make sure that, you know, they're. You know, they they kind of think about what they're doing Just first. stay with
0: the process a little Correct. longer. Yes, just yes. Just a little longer. Yes. Let's just talk a little bit about, mm-hmm. you know, what have you been doing and how yeah. you... And um, th- because it's not a jail, you, you can't... No,
1: no. You, no, they're free to leave anytime they want. Yeah. yeah. So um, how...
0: Is, is there a, a kind of therapy in this for you to, to be able to do this?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I absolutely love my job. And I've always loved working in the drug and alcohol field just because it... it I mean, I can understand. You know, a lot of people. When I first worked in a different treatment center, used the patients used to say to me, I, "I don't know how you. How do you understand? You know, how do you get it? And until you tell them, um, you know, where you've been, so they understand. You know, because on the outside, it doesn't. You know, you don't look like a heroin addict. Yeah. Uh, so how,
0: how? So so tell me about sobriety right now. We got about about a minute minute left to go. Is uh, is it hard to stay sober?
1: It is, but it's gotten easier over the years, I have to say. Um, I work a 12-step program um, and a fellowship. I have a sponsor, and I have, you know, home group and all the things that they su- they suggest, other people in recovery suggest that got them sober, and, and that's what keeps me sober.
0: I don't know that it does, but if the thought ever pops into your head, maybe, maybe I'd like to get high again. What, what do you do at that moment, at that exact moment? I call moment?
1: people, absolutely. I tell myself. You know, there's times where there's the thought always comes into people's head. I mean, it doesn't matter how much time you have... It- it, it always comes, there's there's always a fleeting thought. So
0: It's, it's worth reminding people. Correct. That in the old yes. days, you would you would act on that impulse.
1: Correct, yes.
0: Because it's easy, I'll go act on yes. it. But it's just as easy to call somebody.
1: Yeah, it is just as easy to call somebody. And I wouldn't want to give up my life now. Uh, everything that I have in my life right now is, I'm just beyond grateful.
0: Well, that's terrific. I mean, you look like the athlete you were. <laughs> uh, you look healthy and you look ha- happy. And we uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. And uh, congratulate you on your sobriety. Good luck. Keep it going. All right. Thank you very much. Very simple, our guest. Here on Recovery Radio, and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, please look for us uh, next Saturday on Recovery Radio. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.